0: Welcome to the SDG Talks Podcast, where we discuss all things around the Sustainable Development Goals and the Roadmap to 2030.
1: We are your co-hosts, James and Kevin, here to take you along the SDG ride. We hope you enjoy today's SDG Talks Podcast. You treat a person like a leper for long enough. You know, they won't feel human anymore. And I think that's the problem. You know, I'm sure it's the same in Chicago. I, I just had this conversation with a friend the other night over dinner, basically saying, uh, you know, how in New York, so I've seen some of the people that have obviously been transient the entire time I've lived in my neighborhood. And that was, that's over 13 years. Imagine being completely destitute and living wherever you can find it's some type of or shelter over your head for the night for a decade plus. So I think really the first step is to destroy the stigmatism that, you know, makes you think that these people are less than that they don't deserve help. Or because they had an opportunity in blue, it doesn't mean that, you know, thought this is you know, I thought, you know, it's beyond me that somebody's not, you know, worthy of a second chance.
0: SDG Talkers, welcome back. I'm really excited to tell you about this little mini-series that we're launching with the Unleashed United States Hacks, focused around homelessness. I live in Chicago and see homelessness on a daily basis, and it's different for every city around the country, but particularly within San Francisco Bay Area, it has the largest concentration of high-tech companies in the world, and it compromises the largest share of the country's homeless population. Kind of crazy. And further to that, The inadequate access to clean water sanitation puts the unsheltered community at a higher risk, and with the current COVID-19 pandemic going on, these issues are made exponentially worse. So this problem is the basis for the United States USA Hack uh, held October 10th and 11th. It's a two-day hack, a conference for all these young talents around the world who are interested in collaborating with different local stakeholders from around the world, we're all connected by uh, the internet and Zoom and things like that now, to where how can we take tangible solutions that are addressing sustainability issues, whether it's a hardware or a software or uh, a widget or something, or repurposing something to make it accessible to this population in a new way? And I'm excited today to show you a behind-the-scenes interview with a man named Theo Parisi of New York. It's a really inspiring interview that's going to give you a lot of empathy to what it truly really means to be homeless. I was blown away by this conversation. Theo grew up, as he described, he was lost in the system. It was really fascinating to learn about what it means to be homeless and what it feels like to not have a door to close at night and this mental burden to feel like you're a drain on society. I really enjoyed learning about these stigmas attached to homelessness and realizing that homeless people are people too. They have feelings. They have emotion. And I want you to leave this episode with feeling that you can do something to help homeless people today. It can be as simple as smiling, buying a sandwich, anything, or joining efforts like this Unleash Hack and innovating on new ideas. Like I said, it could be anything. It could be repurposing an existing product or service and making it accessible so we can best support homeless people. To either give them a second chance or best support their efforts at, towards a happy life. So excited for this mini series! There's gonna be a few of these, or particularly around homelessness. To find out more about the USA Unleash Hacks, find them on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter at Unleash Hack USA, or email them at Unleash Hacks USA Unleash U N L E A S H H A C K S USA at gmail.com. Hope you enjoy listening and keep on SDG talking. Theo, good afternoon. How are you doing today?
1: I'm good. Thank you for having me
0: course we're glad to have you on the stg talks podcast where are you located today
1: i'm located in brooklyn new york
0: right on and we're excited to have you here part of this kind of special series as a prelude to the unleash hacks and the unleash events going on around homelessness and um you excited to learn more about you and, and theo would, would love to have a little background about who you are and, and some of your background on, on what makes you you
1: you know i grew up in i grew up in a suburb outside of new york city you know my family history in regards to community is a very interesting one where i come from a very traditional roman catholic very you know cut and dry italian new york family where family was really everything but Strangely enough, we all migrated to the suburbs of Long Island. And basically, you know, any remnants that was left of us residing in the borough that I reside in now is basically a distant memory and a few of my, you know, elderly members' train of thought, I guess. But, you know, I guess my background really is is that. And I, I spent the majority of my youth, you know, my later youth, my mid to late teens really just lost in the system. It's funny. Like I, I was describing a friend of mine was telling me what a luxury it would be to own a dishwasher in New York city. And I responded with, I don't think I've had a dishwasher since I was 14 years old. You know, cause like, I don't know. I always lived in like, you know, from hand to mouth, or lived in conditions that some would consider squalor. You know, I, yeah I don't know. I ran away from home when I was really young and pretty much survived any way I knew I could, like living you know from you know shelter to shelter to street to subway to institution to long term institution to be incarcerated and I think it when it, in regards to the trauma like that I think in regards to the trauma you, that comes with, with experiences like that, you know, those kind of things stay with you. At least they've stayed with me. And I think it's up to, I don't know. I mean, I think we all experience trauma, but I think the real, you know, I think certain things like I'll always think about those times where I didn't have anywhere to sleep or I didn't have anywhere to go. It was kind of like a game of beat the clock, you know? And, you know, like I've, Been a what some like to say a functioning member of society for the majority of my adult life now, and you know I those feelings still stay with me. Like, yeah, I don't know, I'm easily triggered by it today, but I definitely am able to channel it in more, you know, productive outlets. As and I'm fortunate that I am not as easily broken by it as I used to be. But it definitely stays with you, and I think anyone that has experienced it long term or at a young age, you know, it stays with you.
0: Yeah, and I mean, we all are a product of our past, and that's not necessarily a a good or bad thing. That just that's what makes us who we are. And and I appreciate you giving some context about your background and and some of that. And I think and I, I live in Chicago, and and there's there's Quite a bit of, of homelessness that goes on here, and I think around the country. But I think it's homelessness in a lot of ways is maybe misinterpreted. Where sometimes it's people think that though they're doing it by choice, or people it's just like, what, why are they doing that? And there's a lot of misunderstanding of why it is. But everyone sort of got their own situation, and sometimes whether, like you said, you, nicely earlier, maybe you're just kind of lost in the system or at a, a particular point in your life, but. From, from your eyes, and I would love to know sort of what does it mean to be homeless and, and kind of like what is, how should those who are not homeless maybe perceive and, and have some further empathy for the homeless population?
1: Well, you know, I think it's a very rudimentary stigmatism. And I think it's a a hang-up, at least in heteronormative, straight-laced culture, where people turn to the other side of the street when they see someone that's homeless. Or, you know, it's it's also, I don't know how it is in Chicago, but I would think it's probably not that different because Chicago is one of the only cities that comes to my mind that feels like a city. Like, it's a very metropolitan-like place. But uh, in New York, at least, it's like, you know you spend so much time on the train, your senses are so, you know, sharpened that like if somebody asks you for change or someone's pleading for help, you just ignore it. Because at least, you know, where I came from, like I came from like, you know, I came from parents who were, you know, one of them, my, you know, was very snobby and very, uh, like assumed everyone was out to get you. Or like people that were, were in those positions put themselves in those positions, and I think a lot of people feel that way today. You know, like and look, I think it's an insane thing to generalize. You know, something like that at least. And I, 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 I just think, uh, I think in regards to you know, once you become, and I'm sure I've done it still. You know, I think we have taken away voices of these people that are struggling, and I think we have replaced them with our own judgments. And I think that's a truly heartbreaking thing. But I think that's a societal error, for sure. I think yeah. we write these people off basically as either being liars, manipulators, drug addicts that are only out for serving themselves. And you know what, regardless of if some of that is true, I would challenge anyone that says that to wondering what the genesis of that was, where did that come from? And yeah, I mean, in New York, it's very real considering the gentrification that has happened in the neighborhood that I've lived in for 13 years. You know, it's very bizarre to me to think of it. Like look at this condo building where I'm sitting in front of right now that each apartment is $2.5 million where, you know, there is a shelter down the street and local community advocates are angered that there's a shelter down the street because it depreciates the value of a neighborhood. And I honestly think it's, yeah, I really, I think long story short, I think, I mean, it's something that I personally, you know, carried as an act of shame. You know, I was ashamed of myself for the places i had been at a very young age. You know, I was in those positions or in those places from the ages of fifteen to almost twenty-one, and you know, it felt that it aged me significantly, and I it definitely made me def I, def. I definitely developed significant fears of abandonment and survival techniques that I'm sure most people don't have. But yeah, I think the problem is really rooted at the source, where we're quick to write these people's inventories before we even acknowledge it. It's funny in a society where we're all communicating via apps or text or whatever, where physical communication, like asking someone who's lying down facing the street if they're okay, you know? Like, it's funny how we can interact with everything except, you know, our voices. And I think that's where community comes in, where it's like activism is important. And it's time to step up.
0: Absolutely, and exactly. Have giving your story some awareness too about all these unleashers and fellow that fellow innovators that we want to communicate some context here. And you painted it very well. In that homeless or not, but particularly if you are homeless, you're a person too. You have a voice, but unfortunately, there are stigmas where maybe some people look at homeless people as they're they're not as worthy or they're not as valuable to society and that's this is not the case and there's obviously everyone's got their own framework of what happened to get them to where they are today and obviously that is a whole other deep conversation that's specific to each person but i'd I'd love to to know more about you, you talked about some of the shelters and the crisis centers i'd love to know more about sort of what's the role of those within society now and and maybe what are some other organizations out there that are doing some good work that we should be aware of?
1: Well, just to piggyback off what you just said, you know, I think that's it in its simplest form. It's stripped down. Like, these are people, you know? These are people with feelings that, you know, I I think the problem with a community of creating any type of generalization as if, like, these people are nothing more than shapes, you know, or like something out of a Stephen King book is the wrong way to look at anything. And you can put that in every aspect of life, whereas someone's political beliefs you don't agree with, or you think are absolutely insane, or, you know, someone of authority. And, you know, these are people. And you have to wonder why people are a certain way. Where does that come from? And that's the mistake I think people make with homelessness is people are just quick to write that, you know, they're in trouble because it's their own fault or they are in this place at this moment because of their own actions. And regardless of that being true or not, I would say that, you know, you have to wonder where things came from. You have to ask, you know, some people don't get a chance. Some people don't get opportunity. And that's considerably, especially amongst you know white men, white cisgendered men. And I'm not saying there aren't white cisgendered men that are homeless, but you know a lot of people don't get the opportunities that you know people like you and I do get. So you know, in regards to you know residential treatment or residential facilities or crisis centers or drop-in centers, as they're called in New York, or the ones that I helped out at or resided in were called drop-in centers. I mean, they're very, they vary like anything else, like, you know, like any hospital or anything that I, you know, it's been so long since I resided in one, but I can tell you that it's a very noble thing to do that job, to work in a place like that, to help people like that. But, And I I feel like this is the uh, comparison people make for rationalizing police brutality, but I can guarantee you that I feel like the majority of the people that work in some of the rougher ones, like, you know, are overwhelmed and overworked and tired and not getting paid a lot. And I'm sure that they probably are just like at the end of the day, like whatever, you know, lost and feel jaded or cynical about what they're doing. But, you know, I can definitely say for sure that the times I spent in places like that, a lot of them, I was truly terrified. Like, I was terrified to close my eyes at night, wondering what was going to happen if I did, witnessing violence, witnessing neglect. That being said, especially the, the youth centers or the youth shelters in New York, those places really, I mean, to date, even volunteering at them, I was, it's really hard to see anybody struggle, but especially when you see a child who seems like they've lost complete hope or any chance of good things to come, that is truly heartbreaking to me. It's getting lost in the system. And I think the problem with state shelters or city shelters is that they're not funded the right way. And I think that, you know, it's a lot of people that are way overworked that are most likely like I'm only speaking from personal experience. I'm not trying to create my own generalizations. You know, I just remember having caseworkers or advocates or social workers or, you know, talking to me and some generally cared and others looked at me like I was just another messed up kid that would be back next week, you know? And regardless of how minimal or short those those interactions are, those stayed with me. And you begin to lose trust in a system. You know, it's easy to lose that trust too. It's easy to, you know, think of these people as nothing more than, a, you know, out to hurt you. Even if it's not a rational thought, it's definitely what I felt at certain times that they didn't care. Or you were afraid to open up out of fear of retaliation or out of fear that what you said was going to be used against you in any aspect. I'm not saying like in a judicial sense, I mean in any aspect. So, look, and it's a hard job. I can't imagine having to do that day in and day out. And it's something that I think is really beautiful to be able to give back to a community that's less fortunate than you. But at the same time, I think that, you know, there's a lot of problems. And I think there's a lot of stigma that comes with it as well. Like bottoming out is not a pretty thing. So yeah, you know, I think mainly, it's just an issue of i think there's a lot of issues but i think yeah. the main issue is just you know fear of asking for help you and know that, and, that, that's and that's a, a general thing but i think that's it
0: yeah and thank you for phrasing that and i think something that you said that struck a chord is that this social work is hard and mean really helping others and and sometimes you you have some of the most selfless people that give their lives to help those in need. And and a lot of times, like you said, maybe the organizations that are set right now aren't funded correctly. So it's a, a manpower issue. It's a resource issue, but it also I think comes back to creating environments where people can feel comfortable asking for help. And I think most importantly, what you mentioned that is just heartbreaking is when you look into someone's eyes and that feeling of hope or desire to do anything for the future is gone. What are your thoughts on ways that we can build that community to allow for people to feel comfortable to ask for help? And what are your thoughts on what what can be done to help provide those opportunities to create hope again within the eyes of someone who maybe isn't in the best situation?
1: Just real quick, it is amazing to think that's not amazing. It's actually astonishing to think I have lived in New York my whole life, and I've heard since I was a little kid that New York City is broke, that New York City has no money, that's why everything's so expensive, or that's why like you know we don't have this and that, but I find it completely absurd to think that we can't fund you know facilities that are put in place to help people but we can put up or we can sell off, you know, land to to put up more condos or more banks or more department stores or all this money it's like where is this money going? I think honestly that is the root of it. I think these places need to be better funded. I think, you know, I'm sure all these social workers that are set in place, I definitely had so many that I can't even count, but I can say for sure the I can say for sure the, the ones I was at some, you know, it's hard to think, it's hard to remember, go back that far, because some of this was so long ago, and I'm sure some of these people were involved and maybe were there to help. But at the time, there were, I definitely felt like, you know, when you grow up in environments like that, you know, around tra- traumatic events, around physical or sexual violence, the way I did, you really grow a vacancy inside you that makes you just not care. You just lose all sense of hope. And the beautiful thing about, you know, organizations like the Ali Forney Center or the Hendrick Martin Institute, and I'm I'm sure there's countless others in New York, is the dialogue that's opened up and the group activities and, you know, the resources they have to offer educational support and just really an ear for people that are hurting or in trouble can you know speak into and I think that's you know a rare thing considering I've been in like adult men's shelters when I was very very young where that wasn't offered they didn't even have beds to offer us we we slept in chairs you know and so it was just kind of like whatever on to the next but i think the beautiful thing about those two places that i mentioned is that you know I, first of all i resided at one at one point and it was the only one that really i felt like okay maybe i can you know i it's hard you know like you think of like you know queer kids growing up in new york of how terrifying it must be if your family won't accept you and you're thrown to the curb and you have nowhere to go and the beautiful thing about those two organizations is that they cater to that community and just opening up a dialogue and not just reading off a stock script you know and that's where i think you know expert via experience comes in handy where people you know like i had a lot of caseworkers and all these types of professionals speaking to me and it was kind of like talking to like an elderly nun it felt like because you can't relate and you can't identify but i'm not saying that should be a prerequisite far from it i think if anything it's just really just opening up communications so people feel safe you know basically safe spaces where people don't feel like they're in danger physically or mentally or verbally you know
0: yep and Theo, good, good context on that where I think the whole idea, of if you can't relate, you can't identify is so pertinent because often in a lot of industries, you have someone sitting in front of a whiteboard saying, I got the best idea for X. They don't even talk to the end user. They don't even potentially talk to the customer. They don't talk to anyone. They just try and shove it down someone's throat. And it's really not going to help anyone. And what I'd, I'd like to hear from you is obviously we're not going to, we're not going to solve homelessness right now, and, and this hack you know, uh, won't either. But hopefully, it can help provide a couple ideas. But what are some things that both an individual that just is is a regular guy, a regular girl that wants to help, or or aspiring entrepreneurs that are thinking about wanting to do something in this space to help? You know, whether what what would you say to someone that that is looking to help or get involved?
1: First of all, I would say thank you, because not a lot of people do want to do that. You know, not a lot of people are willing to devote time to something that either doesn't offer any financial reward or anything financial. So I would just say thank you for, you know, that is true first responder service right there, like helping the people that literally have nowhere to go. You know, it it depends. I mean, really being an advocate being there to help, to assist. A lot of these programs, like Ali Forney for sure has a mentor program that, you know, you can volunteer your time. You can do, if you have a skill, you can teach that to people. You know, if, uh, I don't know, I'm sure I think the thing these shelters need is I think there need to be advocates across the board, the, mental health without question for a lot of them for, you know, those struggling with substance abuse, those struggling with uh, fear of nowhere to go. You know, my, my sister worked in one in Philly for many years and I heard stories as a kid and it was so weird how my life ended up mirror, mirroring some of these things. But regardless, I just remember hearing that, like, you know, you know, it was a women's shelter and primarily women that were st- suffering from severe domestic violence where the spouses would come and try to pull them out of the shelter. And it was like a unified front from all the workers where they would, you know, make sure that nothing happened to this person. Whereas in a New York shelter, and I'm really just speaking from experience, you can just walk out or anything can happen. The ones I would get. Granted, this was almost 15 years ago now, and I'm sure advances have changed, but I think really there just needs to be an open dialogue of like okay what else can we offer and i'm sure it's difficult because like you said we're not going to cure this problem very much like it's almost a war on drugs we're not going to solve this this is going to happen probably till the end of time i think you know these local and state governments need to offer more funding i think the reality is is that you know, we need to implement services. Like I said, like mental health, substance abuse, opportunities for these people that they feel that there is, you know, a light at the end of this like messed up tunnel that they don't feel just like whatever after this, I'm going to go to a hospital and then I'm going to go here. or I'm going to go to a halfway house for people like me. And then who knows where I'll end up and I'll be working at Wendy's. I think it's like, there need to be opportunities for advancement. Yeah. And, across the spectrum, across the board. No question.
0: Well said. And and yeah, I think for anyone listening, it's one of the most important things I encourage you to do is go volunteer and and talk to people And whether you want to do it for yourself or do it for for them. I mean, just having that conversation to provide an ear, to provide a smile will go a long way to help them, but particularly help, help you frame what you want to do to actually help this, this community. And there's, there's, I think we need to find the balance of in-person kind of traditional tactics from, you know, stuff in person to leveraging some of the technology that exists today by leveraging internets and phones to address, I think, one of the biggest stigmas that that you've talked about and probably some of the biggest opportunities is enhancing education, resources to provide opportunity, but also of the general public around the stigmas and the mental health issues around this. Uh, to me, I think that's some of the lowest hanging fruit, as well as obviously the need for resources around food and water. And I think those to me are things that, that come to mind that I'd like to encourage everyone listening to take action on.
1: I, yeah. I mean, it, you treat a person like a leper for long enough. you know, They won't feel human anymore. And I think that's the problem. You know, it, I don't, I'm sure it's the same in Chicago. I, I just had this conversation with a friend the other night over dinner, basically saying, uh, you know, how in New York, so I've seen some of the people that have obviously been transient the only entire time I've lived in my neighborhood. And that must, that's over 13 years. Imagine being completely destitute and living wherever you can find it's some type of awning or shelter over your head for the night for a decade plus so i think really the first step is to destroy the stigmatism that you know makes you think that these people are less than they don't deserve help or because they had an opportunity and blew it doesn't mean that you know i thought this is you know i thought you know it's beyond me that somebody's not you know worthy of a second chance in regards to this like i think uh Yeah. I just think really offering assistance and, you know, it's easy to get, especially the older you get, it's easy to be focused on yourself. You know, I went through a very strange period once I became, like I said before, a functioning member of society where I put, you know, a financial status, you know, I put a financial number, a number over like the status of who I was as a person. And, you know, I, The reason I started volunteering was I was so caught up in my own like BS that I just felt that, you know, I had lost perspective of how like precious being like living really is. And one, you
0: know, that's a good point. And I feel like that what really matters is put into perspective a lot when you're living hand to mouth and when you you, your earliest comment about the dishwasher and and washing machines i mean who who cares really when like in the the core core primal aspects of humanity and society frankly is to to eat to survive and to reproduce and we add all these other things on top of our society and now have created these stigmas where it's it's kind of like man like who who cares about all this other stuff And, and frankly And this is my perspective, speaking from my perspective, like this about being good to yourself and being good to others. And it's about treating people the way you'd want to treat yourself.
1: Well, it's a very capitalistic style. You know, it's very like me, 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 Marsha, 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 where it's like, you know, I would argue for someone that lives a very like comfortable life now, you know, that none of that means anything. Like, yes, like... I don't really believe that money can't buy happiness per se. Like, I believe that if you're living in poverty, like I've lived for the first 20 years of my adult life, that, you know, money can definitely make you happier. But at the same time, all these things that people feel that they need to be happy, that's just materialism and it's nothing. Like, I've had, you know, multiple opportunities to do very extravagant things in my adult life that I'm truly grateful for but at the end of the day, it's like, unless you really feel good about who you are at your core, I feel like none of that matters. I and more. I think that's where volunteer work comes in. I think that's where helping other people comes in. You know, it's like... I don't know. Like it's easy to lose perspective with how busy you are. And I know it's hard right now, you know, with everything going on in the world and the darkness we've all felt for roughly seven months, it's hard to, you know, think of anything else other than your own well-being. But I would challenge that now is one of the scariest times to have nowhere to go. Because even those that think they have a place to go, it's like, others are don't feel safe as is or a lot don't and I can't imagine trying to find one in the middle of a pandemic
0: yeah it is easy to lose perspective when you have all these things going on and you stay in tune with the news and and obviously the pandemic has created challenges for, for everyone and everything and i couldn't agree more that you know while money does help you do certain things it doesn't buy happiness and it's all about sort of how you feel internally and and frankly, how you, how you treat others. And that's, that's really how people will remember you when your time is done.
1: Yeah. You know, it's funny. I, I agree with you completely. And I, uh, like I use the term safe space before and, uh, it is funny how it's so easy for people to rank on that and, you know, speak ill of, you know, being politically correct and, I think it all is intertwined in the same thing where, you know, it's also just the rudimentary moral we are all taught at a young age, you know, it's like treat others the way you would like to be treated. Yeah. And or it's like if you don't have anything nice to say, don't say anything at all. <laughs> you know, to treat to treat people that are less fortunate than you, really in all aspects of life like they are an inconvenience or annoying, you know, because they're asking for change on a street. Like, I don't understand that. Like you, I don't understand this idea that, you know, somebody because they are, I mean, it's not like this person is thriving, you know, like I don't understand this idea of like, Oh my God, I hate this. It's like, Oh, I'm sure they're not loving it either. (laughs) Like, you know, again, it's a lived experience for me personally. So, yeah, and you know, I, I think of all the traumas that I've had to experience and, you know, every human experiences trauma to some degree or another, that is the one that is always keeps or keeps me grounded for sure. And I would definitely say that anyone that has experienced that truly like they don't forget that, you know, like, I mean, perspective is a wild thing. You know, when I was, before I was able to get help, you know, I was 21 years old and I didn't have shoes like walking down, you know, the street in the middle of February. And now it's like, you know, my life is, you know, as they say in 12 step meetings, like beyond my wildest dreams. And yeah, I think really the solution you just a jumping off point is to, you know, I guess, just open up dialogue. And I know that sounds pretty bare, but really just have, you know, I think more needs to go into these places. Yeah, I, I, You know, we have to offer services beyond just a, you know, three hots and a cot. That's it.
0: Yeah. Well, and there's a lot of ways to do that. And I'm excited to hear and see what comes out of the, the Unleash hacks in a couple of weeks. But kind of two questions I want to phrase to you and you can a- answer each, either one first is within the the context of the framework we've already had or or something separate, I'd love to know two things. What's one thing that you're most excited about and what's one thing that scares you and that keeps you up at night?
1: Oh, wow. Those are good questions. The one thing I'm truly scared about right now is the election. Things that keep me up at night, the fear of poverty is a treadmill or still in my adult life, or financial struggle, even though I don't necessarily struggle nowhere near as badly as certain people do. But again, I think these things stay with you. And I think the anxieties and the PTSD you develop from said experience you know, linger. But uh, honestly, just the state of this current climate And I think a lot more attention needs to be brought to obviously the things we spoke about, but also just treating everybody better and offering services that, you know, it's sad to say, I don't know a lot of people that volunteer or do this kind of work. I know a few individuals for sure, but the ones that I call like close friends, no, because again, it's like people feel that it's not their responsibility, but I would challenge that if you want to look deep within yourself, it's all of our responsibility to look out for one another. And, you know, take care of yourself, no question. But those are the things that keep me up at night still. 15 years later, you know, nine years sober, you know, married for 10 years, you know, I'm 30 years old and those things still keep me up at night. The fear of, you know, worst case scenario, like, you know, being completely destitute or just wearing, you know, rags sleeping underneath the BQE and And the election. Those are all the things that I'm very, very scared of right now. Things I'm looking forward to, I I don't know. I guess just, you know, health and happiness, you know, just being healthy, especially right now. But, you know, just, you know, just the idea of being uh, a functioning member of society and being healthy. Those are things I look forward to. Just, you know, tomorrow can always be better is like the hokiest statement. But, you know, it's true especially in times like now where we have no idea what our futures are going to look like or the future of, you know, our country will look like it's, you know, keeping it, you know, in the day is very good to me at least. Okay. So I look forward to today, I guess, but I'm very afraid of everything else. <laughs>
0: <laughs> That's one of the most beautiful ways of phrasing I've ever heard. And I, I couldn't agree more. And it truly helps put, helps put everything in perspective where, there are a lot of these macro things out of our control. And I think if 2020 has taught us anything, we must just focus on what we can control. And mostly, most time, people can't control their own actions. Um, and if you have the ability to help others and pay it forward and lend a helping hand or lend an ear or lend some money to someone else and, and change your perspective, like you said, um, I think those are all little things we can do today. And to your final point of, I am also excited for today and I I appreciate you giving me extra purpose for the rest of my day today and every day because today is a great day and I'm hopeful that tomorrow will be even better and just I really want to thank you Theo for your time and your context and and your story and, and inspiring me to to produce this so thanks and I really look forward to talking again soon
1: it is my pleasure thank you so much
0: Thanks for listening to the SDG Talks podcast. Make sure to check out all the show notes for relevant links from this show. Please share and follow SDG Talks on social media and stay tuned for updates from the Unleash and United Nations community.
1: Goal of the SDG Talks is to bring you good content. So if you want to learn about something specific or have suggestions, please let us know. We look forward to seeing you next time on SDG Talks.